Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Just a really exciting show for everybody out there today, Adam. First of all, we will discuss the last week of action for the Nashville Predators, winning four out of five, and then, I don't know, Red Tuesday, whatever you want to call Tuesday, with all of the injuries, the information, and, of course, the loss to Carolina. You have a column up today um, with a pretty direct message to Nashville Predators fan. We're recording this on Wednesday. It should be up at some point on Wednesday, and we'll get to that. You have a fascinating piece on The Athletic. By the way, pay for good journalism. Go to The Athletic. Talking to a couple of former front office executives in the NHL about what the rebuild process looks like with some lessons both, I think, Adam, for the future for Nashville Predators hockey, but also some moments where we need to maybe deconstruct where it went wrong for the Nashville Predators. So we're going to do all that kind of stuff. We'll break down all the injuries, and of course, we'll uh, look around the league at some news and uh, look at the power rankings. Not sure why. <laughs> we'll do that a little bit later on. But of course, the gold standard is brought to you by our great friends at Jaspers. Jaspers! That's my Steve Cavendish impression. <laughs> uh, Adam Vingen, not only uh, a, a host on the podcast network, but also a subscriber. That's a lamestream sports reference. Go check out that podcast as well. Andrew Marinus on the podcast this week. Great, great interview with Chris Mason yes. last week. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't cross promote the the baseball author. I should cross promote the Predators TV analyst. <laughs> yes, Chris uh, was a very enlightening interview. Um, we spoke to him about his transition from player to broadcaster, about what it takes to be a broadcaster, and I thought the most interesting part was, you know, how a how he handles criticism of a team. One as a team employee. And two, as a teammate of some of the players, as a former teammate yeah, that was, of some of the players that he's commentating. I had almost actually forgotten about that. But when he first got into the booth, of course he had known some of these guys and right. played with them. But it was, yeah, please go check out that show. It's about media, sports, and business, kind of a confluence of the three. And, and yes, we've had Chris Mason on the show last week. So I definitely recommend checking out that show. Also, we recommend going to Jasper's um, because that's what we were doing here at the beginning of the show is promoting our sponsor. And not, although I don't mind promoting other podcasts. Uh, we do want to recommend everybody go to Jasper's because, again, great food, great place to watch the game, Preds or otherwise. We have a cocktail called the Gold Standard. Please go check it out. It's a very refreshing whiskey drink. It's very delicious, very tasty. Unsweet tea, per your recommendation, Adam. doesn't have sweet tea in it. It has unsweet tea in it. That's good. Yep, which I know you're a fan of. Free parking, big open space, lots of really great food, great place to watch the game. So go to Jasper's. Jasper's! <laughs> there you go. All right, well, I guess let's start with the mirage that was four out of five. How about that? Let's um, do it. Because, again, if you want to follow along at home, both each of the last two days, Monday and Wednesday, or I guess Monday and Tuesday, you posted, you, written, you wrote articles, um, uh, as I referenced. And so if you want to follow along with those two pieces on The Athletic, we recommend it. But four out of five wins, I think, had people thinking, okay, Ryan Johansson's back. The offense feels a little bit better. We won four out of five games. Why is that a total mirage, Adam? Well, three of those wins came against the slumping Columbus Blue Jackets, who, uh, whose general manager, Garmo Kekalainen, felt obligated on Tuesday to give John Tortorella a public vote of confidence. Uh, so that's where that team is. <laughs> um, five of the Predators' wins this season 
half of their wins this yeah, season. Yeah, they're 5-1 and one against Columbus. Are against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Just to give you a point of reference. I believe that makes them 4-11. Against, against, against everybody else? Against everybody that else. That sounds about right. Um, <laughs> and, the, and then the other that includes against, the That includes four with the Red Wings? Yes, they're 2-2 two and two against the Red Wings. No, yeah, that includes four with the Red Wings. So. They're 2-2 two and two against the Red Wings. Um, and so the other seven ge- wings against Columbus and Detroit. And I have the, two I have wins. the records right here against every team uh. in the division. Carolina 0-2. Chicago 2-0, the first two games of the season. Columbus 5-1. <laughs> Dallas 0-2. Detroit 2-2. Florida 1-1. Tampa 0-4. Oh, God. So those are the Predators' head-to-head records against their central division opponents this season. So, yes, three wins against the slumping Blue Jackets, one against the Detroit Red Wings, even though they lost to the Red Wings. That was the one loss in that four out of five stretch. And that was the game Pekka basically stole, right? Two two nothing win over Detroit. That was basically the one Pekka stole. They split with Detroit and All of these games run together. Are you blocking out all of the successful things to discuss about the Nashville Predators already? What successful things to discuss? (laughs) A good night. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I mean I'm with you. I don't think it's really that complicated. We don't have to spend that much time on it, but again, they've won five games against Columbus. And they've beaten Detroit twice. The two wins over Chicago look more of like the exception than the rule, to be honest. But listen, that was, that w- those were the first two games of the season, right? And expectations were the Blackhawks were going to be bad. They've been better than advertised. I'm still not completely convinced that they are as good as their record indicates. Um, I agree, but they did get those two wins. Um, and this, remember when the Predators started two and zero? Like remember <laughs> they were how, in first. Do you remember when they were in first place on like January twenty sixth? Remember how good you felt when they were two and zero? Oh God, those were the days six <sighs> weeks ago. All right, so I, I don't know how much we need to dwell on even the loss to Carolina. In in reality, it was uh, to the, me. It was the it was the cherry on top of a, an entire day. Of uh, it was the cherry on top of a shit Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When you say Red Tuesday. Do, is that a play on the fact that the Hurricanes wear red, or did you not even realize and, that? And, yes, it was about the Hurricanes wearing red and everyone going to the medical tent. <laughs> Basically, everyone needing a medic. The red cro- It was a red cross. Hurricanes wear red. Blood is red. The, the Predators are dead. It was all, all those things. Red, I'm going to call it Red Tuesday because I, I, if they all happen at separate times— It doesn't I, have the same ring as Bloody Sunday. But, well, in Black know. Tuesday, like, I don't know. Like that or just, Black Monday. Isn't that the day where NFL yeah. coaches get fired? Yeah. So I just thought Red Tuesday— but the reason I, I call it that is, had all of these things happen at separate times, I think you could still, through very gold-tinted glasses, say, all right, we still have an over a month until the trade deadline. Let's let it play out. Let's let it play out. But because it all happened at the same time, you lose two of your highest-paid players. Your goaltender goes out after the first period. You lose, a, you lose another young forward in Luke Cunning to IR, and you then look like a bad hockey team. Because of those players, at the start of a stretch of games in which we know they're going to play really good teams, it just felt like it all came together with one clarifying message, and that is why I feel like Tuesday was a bigger deal than the four wins or even losses before that. Right? It just felt like all of the events at one time. It, it made Tuesday a, a, a pivotal moment in the season to me. And you referenced off the top uh, a column that. I wrote that was just published Wednesday morning on the athletic.com pay for my journalism, <laughs> pay, 
pay for my lifestyle, please. Uh, <laughs> he likes Jordans. I do like and Jordans. He likes, and he likes sugar coffee, cold, which I don't understand. It's a cold brew chocolate milk, to be exact. Yeah. It's the closest thing to coffee I'll drink. Anyway, I wrote a column where I basically said, it's over. It's time for the Predators to accept reality, those in charge specifically, to accept reality. It's over. This team is not going anywhere. They are not making the playoffs. Our our stats guru, Dom LeCision, gives the Predators a 7% chance of qualifying for the playoffs. It's, it's generous. It's over. This they had they they had their chances over the past several years. They didn't win. The bill has come due. It's over. So I was struck by an interview that David Poyle gave to 1025 yesterday. He does a weekly interview with our friends Darren, Donick, and Chase. And David said that he wants to see how the Predators perform through this upcoming road trip that they're about to go on, which starts next week, eight of their next nine games are against the Hurricanes, the Panthers, or the Lightning. There's one game against the Stars, which I believe is one of the makeup games uh, from a couple of weeks two. ago. I think there's two at the Stars on the road. There might be two. There's one at the end and like one in the middle. Okay. They, those might be the makeup games from the uh, from the uh, Storm yes, they in are. Texas. Um and he said, to paraphrase that, that's a qu- about a potential rebuild. You know, ask me again after that trip. Why wait? <laughs> what gives you confidence that the Predators are going to run the table against these teams that they're clearly inferior to? So when you consider everything, when you consider where the Predators are, when you consider the obstacles that this season presents when it comes to the trade deadline, specifically COVID-19 related quarantine rules, especially for players traded from Canada to the United States or to the United from the, you know, whichever way, but either way, you you need to bake in some extra time. You need to bake in some extra time there. You know, perhaps this is harsh, but there is no hope for this team this year. I have officially declared them dead. And I think it is time for, ownership and management to understand that that championship parade down Broadway that they were hoping to see is a distant dream. And the first step and in the first step and we'll, ref, you know, we'll, we'll I, get, we'll get into the, the great job laying out the chapters of what a rebuild looks like. I want to continue beating the dead carcass here okay, first before let's we beat it, before we get into that. The reason I agree with you and the reason I don't agree with David Poyle, and I don't think it's, you know, w- w- again, people aren't getting fired. Like the coach and the GM, we've said this before, they're not getting fired before the trade deadline. They're going to be, David Poyle is going to be in charge of the, this, this organization through the trade deadline. Uh, so Preds fans, if you want to ride the next month of games to the trade deadline and see what happens, fine. Of course you, you can do that. The reason I agree with you that, that it is officially over is that you needed a clarifying message. You needed a clarifying moment. You needed a clarifying, you know, something to happen to tell this team, all right, you either go for it and you're going to make the playoffs or you're not. Four out of five against bad teams is not that. And I think some fans wanted to think that it was. Getting beat by Carolina on Tuesday night is not a clarifying message that the season is over. When you package that with, 
your star centerman who's, uh, you know, not produce, producing, going on the COVID list, your starting goaltender who just played a brilliant weekend of hockey is out for an injury after one period. You lose your second highest paid defenseman to a, a, an injury for over a month. And then you put Luke Cunning on IR as well. I, I th- To me, this team and organization needed a, a I don't know, kick, kick to the stones. Uh, what did you call it? A pee-pee whacking? <laughs> A yes. couple, couple of weeks ago, there needed to be a clear, obvious message and moment in time. And to me, that was Tuesday. That was the end. I agree with you. I, I, I just think that Preds fans need to come to grips with if they weren't, if, it, if this next eight games was going to be a struggle, eight games on the road and what is it, 10 of 11 or 10 out of 12 against the top three teams in the division. Now you're going to do it without potentially Johansson, Saros, Ellis, and Cunning. That's it. That that's the end. That that was the signal. Tuesday was the was the flare gun out in the middle of the ocean saying save us. Like that was it to me. Again, I think flares are red, by the way. I was about to sing send in the clowns, but I'm not sure <laughs> that, that the context was appropriate. All right, Carcass is fully beaten. I just send in <laughs> the clowns. It's not bad. You got a little you got some tempo there. Some, some I was pitch. a music theory and history minor in college. What's that gotten you? I feel like I've done okay. Okay. I mean, I, I, think I mean, you, it hasn't gotten it, like that. I think you are a cultured individual. <laughs> well, I was a musician. I was a. I think I that's generating musician. revenue for you. I was a musician in middle school and high school. I was a great trombone player. <laughs> First chair all city in seventh grade. You're such a stud, Adam. I had no clue you were so good with the trombone. I am, um, I am great with the trombone. Well, not, <laughs> maybe not so much anymore, but when I was like 11 or 12. So no one in Virginia Beach could touch me. You're <laughs> uh, uh, you're a regular Al Bundy. Uh, it's it's incredible. So Al Bundy played trombone. No, uh, you're reliving your greatest high school moments. Oh, I was. I would think uh, that's what Al Bundy would always do on Married with Children. You know what? I my my father. Enjoyed, Remember that time I scored a touchdown in seventh grade? My father enjoyed Married with Children. When you made that reference, my first thought was Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Bitch, like I, how much you could think I throw that ball over the mountains? Yeah, bitch, I could throw a football quarter mile. <laughs> I'm just out there. I'm just out there recording myself playing trombone outside of the, out, on the RV. There's a van parked in the middle of a valley, and you're just blaring away Beethoven's Fourth Symphony or whatever. Sounds like a great idea. Uh, well, it's probably more peaceful than being at Bridgestone right now. Um, all right, so the carcass is dead. I agree with you. Uh, so are we the vultures? I the guess the carcass is dead. Are I, we the I don't know. Like, what do you like? The, the phrase, hyenas. the phrase "beating the dead horse." Like, did any like was there something that used to happen? We need to do some research on this. Did, did someone literally beat it? Yeah, dead like horse? was that a thing that people used to do to like turn them into glue or something? Like, I don't know. Like, I what, don't know. We'll do some re- research on that. I don't know why that's a phrase. I never thought about that. Like, we're beating the dead horse. Did, was that a problem in society? We had to stop. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, your column on Monday, or your story on Monday walks through the rebuild process. We've laid out exactly sort of our specifics for what we would do. We would trade all the first year contracts. We would Matthias Ekholm was a big trade chip. We talked with Greg Wyshynski a couple of weeks ago on the show about who should be on the table and who shouldn't. We've talked about the Forsberg eligibility of being traded. We have not touched on Pekka necessarily. Um, I, I'm a big believer that if Pekka Rene actually gets you something, I don't. you don't keep someone for sentimental reasons in the middle of a shrewd and harsh rebuild. You take every asset you can get. Um, we have not had that discussion. Uh, maybe you disagree with me on that. 
it's an, it, it's it is an interesting discussion um because you think of Pecorine having his Ray Bork moment being traded to the Avalanche and, and winning a Stanley Cup before retiring of course Carolina 20, 20 years ago hard to believe um Carolina could use a goaltender That's what I'm saying. I'm not that James Reimer isn't capable um but he is James Reimer. Um I Pekka wants to stay in Nashville. Um But he can come back. Right, but like uh, if you can get a fifth round draft pick for him. Right, I understand that. You know? I'm wondering though I I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree with the premise. I'm just trying to think about it realistically. And I, I think the organization doesn't want his resume to read Predators, 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 Hurricanes. I, I, I agree, but... Hurricanes, who, by the way, just a hypothetical. We're not saying he's being Right, but who's going to remember that? Like, nobody cares. No one's going to... He, he'll retire as a Predator. He'll go to the Hall of Fame. If he does as a Predator, he'll be... Do you be, think he's a Hall of Famer? I think he's on the border but i think it's close um i I think he's i think he's straddling the line leaning towards no right now i tend to agree with that but just i'm just saying like he's never not going to be a national predator he's national predator for life like i don't i I think it's irresponsible not to take an asset for him (laughs) right but it's it's difficult to it's difficult well it's not difficult it's not the right word it's rare that a player spends his in any sport spends his entire career with one franchise. And I, I almost think it's sort of a badge of honor. Um, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. So, but here, but the other thing you have to keep in mind, that's is, a nice sentiment. Adam. Right. So Pecorine, by the way, has limited trade protection. He has a modified no trade clause that allows him to submit a, te- a list of 10 teams that he would accept a trade to. My understanding is that list is submitted before the season. Interesting. And when the season and once it is submitted, it's final. So it's not like that seems so dumb. So it's not like for both sides. But and, and the other thing is, is isn't I'm, that dumb? I, I mean, whatever. <laughs> but the the other thing you have to keep in mind with this sort <laughs> of trade the, list with these <laughs> trades lists, I'm not saying that. I mean, I don't know which ten teams are on Pekka's list. I know. I'm just saying like that limits the player and it limits the team, and there's no real reason to have it locked in stone before the season. Like I don't understand. I don't Maybe know. I'm missing something. But the point I'm saying is that you know Pekka and, and his agent Jay Grossman, you know, would be able to look at ten teams that say these team these ten teams have goaltending. These 10 teams have a lot of money locked into their goaltending. So I'm going to pick these 10 teams because I know they don't need me. So like they right. so a a 10 team yes list can be basically, you know, can basically function as a no trade clause. A no trade clause. Yeah. If you pick 10 teams that don't need goaltending and have no money. Like yeah. so I you know, like I don't know who is on Pekka's list. Yeah, I was going to say can you get your hands on that? I, I I could try. See what you can do. But the but yes. So Especially if UC Soros is out for an extended period of time, um, and Connor Ingram continues to be in the uh, in the uh, in the uh, I don't I, I don't want to call it the substance abuse program. I feel like that's too. It's just person. He's dealing with personal stuff. Yes. Um. I, I don't want to. Uh, it's like the non football in non football right. injury list for the NFL. Yeah, I don't want to minimize what he's going through. Is what I'm saying. Right. Um. But do you really want? Do you you know there's no there's no options for goaltenders? I mean, if you're if you're embracing the tank, by all means. 
but I don't that's, expect them to. That's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think I don't think Pecorino is going anywhere. I don't think so either. I'm just saying philosophically, if we're talking about a rebuild, every single thing should be on the table with the exception of a few pieces you're going to build around, and Pekka's not one of them. So um, we'll get to Ryan Ellis, who's now out four to six weeks with a with, with a uh, upper body injury. I don't know if you have any insight or saw anything. He blocked a shot yeah. uh, by Patrick Laine with under a minute left in the game on Sunday. Um, I couldn't see exactly where it hit him. It actually looked like it hit him in the knee or the leg. Um, but they, they're calling it an upper body injury. So, um, but you could tell on the replay um, that he was definitely coming up uh, hobbled. And coincidentally, it was Patrick Laine who injured Luke Cunning too um, on a check into the boards. Strong dude. In the uh, second period, yes. Patrick when Laine, he wants to be. Patrick Laine is one of those players where I remember I was leaving, I was leaving the arena back when we could actually be in the bowels of the arena and go into dressing rooms. I was leaving the arena one day. They were playing the Jets, and Patrick, as Patrick Laine was walking in, and he is huge. Like, you, you, I mean, you know, he's, I don't know what his, you know, vitals are, but he's huge. Like, he's a big dude. He's, he's built, yeah. Like, that was the one thing back in that 2018 playoff series against the Jets. Like, their size, like, Blake Wheeler, big dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Shifley, yeah. big dude. Patrick Laine, big dude. Dustin Bufflin, Bufflin big is dude. a monster. You know, Bufflin was an anomaly. Um, can, but, I, can I do my uh, Bowels of Bridgestone standing next to an NHL player moment sure. story? Because, again, we're, now we're talking about pieces. We're going to get to lessons from NHL GMs about – because, again – we are. We've talked a lot about what the pieces are going to be. You know, we just talked about Pekka. We can talk about Ryan Ellis now that he's injured. If that makes him more likely to be moved, less likely, whatever. There's not not a whole lot more discussion about what the actual strategy with the current pieces should be for the Predators. I think what we're going to do more today on the show is is focus on the strategy and the vision and how it has to be implemented big picture with some lessons from some previous guys that again you can follow along with the Athletic. But first, my uh, Vladimir Tarasenko story. Sure. So uh, this was the St. Louis series. 2017. 2017 Stanley Cup. Second round. Second round. And Ryan Reeves. Also big dude. Very, very big dude. Very large man. They're all they're all playing soccer down in that little. So there's a little area when you take the elevator down and you're going into the dressing room, into the locker rooms, and into the media area. It's kind of a larger area where they bring in the Zambonis and the big trucks for like country music stages. And there's right. a people don't know there's like a like a half a mile long tunnel that like spits out trucks underneath the music city center, like a ways away from Bridgestone. It's actually like an escape route or something, but anyway, good to know. Anyway, they all, the, all the opposing teams and sometimes the predators will play soccer in this area. Cause they're just lo- staying loose. And, and you know, I'm sure you've seen it. So the, the, the blues are all playing. I've been hit by a couple of those soccer balls <laughs> over the years. Right. I don't know what game this was. It would have been a home game. Obviously one of the games in that series, maybe it was game six. It would be three, four, six. And so they're kicking the ball around and I walk, I'm like kind of walking by the, the circle. My first thought was Ryan Reeves is huge. This guy is, he's gigantic. He is. And, and like, he's a football player and 0% body fat. Like just, he's built like a linebacker. My second thought was that's Tarasenko. He looked like a short five foot 11, wildly out of shape, like beer league softball pitcher. <laughs> he had a beer gut, two chins, and like looked like just I, – I could not believe he was the guy that is like the most dominant player on the ice when he played in that series. Well, you know who's also like that? Phil Kessel. You know, Phil Kessel is an unassuming 
you know, quote unquote average this, looking guy, but he's a hell of a goal scorer. He is out. This guy looked out of shape. <laughs> I mean, again, there's some Yager to his game, right? Like just extremely, extremely Are you picking skilled. on Czechs and Russians? Is that what you're I'm not, doing? Not then? really. I just, the guy looked like he literally went on a, would go on benders and then roll out of bed and then be just the best player on the ice. Alex Ovechkin, you know, at least when I covered him, you know, he, his, he did not have, he wasn't shredded, you know, but I was in better. Was I looked like thick. I was in better shape. Yes. I mean, Alex Ovechkin wasn't shredded. Like he didn't have a six pack and right. bulging biceps, but you know, the guy's a, a, a moose. Uh, uh, th- yeah. This guy, I mean, Tarasenko looked like he had like a gut. <laughs> like it was very but strange. He, you know, he scores 40 to the 50 but he's goals, like the so best, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter because he's the best player on the ice. Anyway. All right. Back to the Nashville Predators. Um, Ryan Ellis injured. Luke Cunning injured. Cunnan's a part of the rebuild. We've talked about this, so he's yes. not really eligible for all of this. But I mean, he is, but sure. we're not including him. We'll we'll listen to all offers. We're we'll, all, we're open to anything. The line for us was sort of Ryan Ellis, Victor Arvidsson. That the Ellis Arvidsson line is Greg Wyshynski coined. No, no, for us. as I coined oh you it. coined and he he enjoyed it he, so much and he yes. stamped. He gave you a stamp of approval. Give proper credit, which is a big deal. Cite I mean, Greg sources. is a tastemaker. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I obviously agree. What does that do to what does the injury do to Ryan Ellis? Because that puts him right up against the deadline as far as I injury goes. I wasn't expecting goes. him to be traded anyway. Um, so I think this also, I mean, Ryan Ellis is out for four to six weeks. He suffered a concussion last year, has a history of knee issues that required surgery. Um, when he he has been far less effective this season than he was last season. So there's this fancy stat. Goals above replacement, which is similar to baseball war, and there's also a wins above replacement in hockey. But goals above replacement. Ryan Ellis last season, if I recall correctly, according to the Evolving Hockey website, was the most valuable defenseman in the league based on goals above replacement, which takes into account even strength play and special teams play. Yep. He is far less effective this year. He actually has a negative goals above replacement this season. It's not good. Um, so... He's been far less effective. Ryan Johansson, 14 games this season. Of course, remember, he was injured. Then he's now on the COVID-19 list. Which, by the way, does not mean that Ryan Ellis... Not Ryan Ellis. That does not mean that Ryan Johansson has coronavirus. It just means that he could... He's been traced into the system. Right. He could have it. It might be a contact tracing thing. So just because he's on the list, because this is the first time that a player has gone on this list like in season. All right, let me ask you this then. If you had... Your entire mortgage to wager on which Nashville Predator was going to be the first one to make it onto the COVID nineteen list. What? What? Who are you putting a hundred thousand dollars on? I I don't want to be mean. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't. I'm know. just saying. I don't know. But my point is that <laughs> Ryan Johansson. Are you so, are you shocked that it was Ryan Johansson? Maybe not. But there I don't. Go. But you know, I don't know. You know, I can I, I can't. We're say all this, speculating. But, having yeah, it's, can, this is all in good fun here yes. on the podcast. But Ryan Johansson, here's what's not in good fun. Ryan Johansson has won one five on five point this season in 14 games. Jesus so Christ. so so neither of them have been playing well. Both Ryan's. Wow. But this team is not better without them. No, as I, you, I, as I agree you with saw that. Last night, I agree with that. You're rolling out a, a, a top four of. Roman Yossi, Dante Fabro, Matisse Eckholm, and Alex Carrier with a with a with a third pair of Ben Harper and Matt Benning because Mark Borowiecki is day to day. Let the kids play. Um, 
Well, Ben Harper's not really a kid. I uh, mean, Carrier. I'm Carrier referring to Carrier. Carrier is a kid. Tanner Janot got his no, uh, I, look, NHL debut. Yeah, I got, 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 this, the, got the, the most, solo. Got the solo. I, I will uh, say, pass. you know who the most entertaining player this season is outside of Philip Forsberg? I I think I know where you're going. Is it 25? It sure is. Yeah, Matthew I agree. Olivier. You don't take no shit. Does man. not give a fuck, <laughs> I like, and I, like I love it. it. Like he, like that. I'm with you, you. They need a player like that. I mean, I know that Matthew Olivier is not the most gifted player, yeah. but he has a purpose and he plays it well. And you know, I tweeted something about that last night, and I got tons of tweets saying he's my favorite player to watch yeah, this season. Absolutely. I mean, he he's it's a great story. You know, what's hotty toddy right from Mississippi? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he's a French Canadian from Mississippi, and he could be Hale Stater. I don't know. Maybe he's a big. Which one is Hottie Toddy? Old Miss or Miss, Mississippi Miss. State? Okay. What's the other one? Hale State, State, Mississippi State. Yeah. Uh, it could be Southern Miss. You know. Southern Miss. Yeah. Could be a could be a Golden Eagle. You, you never know. Um, I, listen, I will say this. I I have time for Matthew. We, you know, there there's there's plenty of like cheeky, snarky tweets and comments about Ryan Johansson, but there is no chance that this team isn't better. You know, with him than without him. Like no, they, but- they they are better with they. They are better with Ryan Johansson on the top line being the center for this team. Like, let's just be honest. Like, we can make little cheeky jokes on Twitter. And, I wrote a story. You know, man, they sure misses right. zero goals this right. year. Like, but, <laughs> like, wrote, again, the team is better with Ryan Johansson. So let's be very clear about that. I wrote a story during the pause, which seems like forever ago. It's almost been a year. Um, about I, 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 It was called Salary Cap Court, where I looked at the Predators' you know, biggest contracts and determined whether they were good contracts or bad contracts. And I remember writing at the time – that Ryan Johansson's contract was a quote unquote teetering on the you know teetering off the cliff or teetering on the edge of bad contract or something like that. It's bad. Yeah, it's a bad contract. Yeah. Um. You know. Good luck. We're talking about rebuilds. Good luck moving that contract. So let, let's get into. We will get into all of the concepts and the lessons and the deconstruction from you know what this strategy will look like. What have we learned about past rebuilds in the NHL? And what do we have to remember? And what have we learned about the, the last few years with Nashville Predators hockey? So we'll do that. The Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers! Go to Jaspers. It's the next evolution of the sports bar, as I've been told. You can order a cocktail titled The Gold Standard, which mm. is a which is the name of the podcast. And they named it after our podcast, which basically means we've arrived, Adam, I think. I've always wanted to tell people... That I have a cocktail. I mean, that's quite the the brag, right? Yeah. Like, if you were single and you were to take a date to Jasper's, mm-hmm. free parking, socially distanced, great place to watch a game, the bar, the whole deal, excellent menu, fantastic food, grab-and-go market, you got the little lounge area, and you were to say, hey, barkeep, which I don't think people say, but no. hey, barkeep, could I order a gold standard? And, and then your date goes, oh, what's that? And you go, it's the name of my podcast. You think that you think that does it? I'm not sure the podcast flex <laughs> is, is what gets you in the door. Um, uh, quick note: more people 18 to 34 are listening to podcasts than radio. So, but if you just say you it's go. my cocktail, and then you explain why it's your cocktail, don't lead with the podcast. Okay, lead with the cocktail, and then say it's named after this podcast that's, that I do. I guess that's what I was trying to say, but I just did it poorly because I haven't been in the dating world in a long time. So Yes, I guess I've been in the dating world more recently than you, though. You convinced someone to marry you recently. That's a, that, make, that automatically puts you ahead of me. 
the funny I'm sto- just convincing Haley to stay with me told, every day. Have I ever told the story of my uh, proposal on the air? I don't think so. Do so we have time here? On, we, on, we have. A, we have. While I'll, we're I'll, talking about Jasper's? Yes. Point being that uh, I purchased the ring, and Bridget felt that once I got it, I would not be able to hold on to it without telling her. I am. So I, I tried agree. to prove her wrong by holding on to it for like two or three days after I received it. Two or three days? Yes. That's it? And one, and I was going to the gym, oh. and she said, if the ring is in the house, I'm going to find it. If you leave, I'm going to tear the house. I'm going to tear this through the house. This is not a fair move by and her. find it. So I got up. I went to the hiding spot. I pulled it out. She was sitting on the couch. <laughs> I, she forced a proposal. I proposed to her, and this her was first like a- response was, I have to take my socks off because she was sweating because she was so excited. She said, I have to take my socks off. Then she said yes. You Very tr- on brand for our relationship. You tried to implement a no proposal clause. And she a limited and no she proposal had, clause. Yeah, and she said no chance. That's not see, this is not fair for for you. Cause I agree. Go to Jasper's, by the way. I, I agree. I had the ring in the in my apartment for about two two weeks with my with my then girlfriend, future fiance, now wife, mother of my children. And I it was like a third roommate. I, I would like look at it every time I walked by. Like I knew where it was hiding. Having the ring in the house felt like a third person. It was yeah. like having another roommate. I was like, oh, it's up there. And I'd walk by and I knew where it was and she didn't know it was there. And I, I, I made it two weeks until we went on a family vacation and had the whole thing planned. But I agree. It's impossible to keep it hidden. It's I tried to hide hard. it in a place that she would never look, like the dishwasher or the laundry wow. or the laundry hamper. Wow. <laughs> well, she could hide stuff from you in the toolbox. That is true. I don't know how to operate tools. Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. If you go to Jasper's, you might end up with a story just like this. Your love will bloom at Jasper's. Because you order the gold because standard cocktail. Because you ordered the gold standard cocktail. Uh, they've got a fantastic menu. I, I absolutely. They got a meatball gondola, which is fantastic. They got great meatballs, great wings, some of the best queso you'll ever have in the city. Uh, I love the appetizers. I love the shareables. Great place to watch a game. They got the grab-and-go market. Free parking, if we mentioned that. Socially distanced, plenty of space, although maybe we won't have to do that much anymore soon. If everyone just stays diligent, we're soon and close to being done with all of that stuff, which is great news. I can't wait to go out with like 15 people to Jasper's. Just That's, coughing all over everybody. Um, uh, just and licking faces. Over, yeah. Spitting over everybody. Just Remember when you used to share a cocktail with someone? Like, oh, can I try that? Yeah. And somebody would look, yeah, sure, you could try this. And those were the days. Those, but soon. They're coming back yes. soon. Great food. Fantastic atmosphere. Great, great place to go hang out and watch the game. So go to Jasper's and drink a gold You standard. might fall in love. And then your wife might say when you propose, I have to take my socks off. Jasper's. <laughs> All right, Adam, so let's get to what exactly the strategy should be behind an NHL rebuild. What did we learn from some past rebuilds? You've laid it out very nicely in the column on The Athletic. Go check it out. Pay for good journalism. And then maybe looking back on some of the mistakes that the Predators made in trying to build towards a championship and maybe pointing to some of those moments and saying, that's where we could have learned, that's where it went wrong, relative to sort of the strategy that you now have learned, essentially, right? The, yes. the rebuild for dummies, as you say in the column. Right. So that's what I was thinking about as I was writing this story. I wanted to talk to people with actual experience rebuilding a franchise. Um, so I spoke to two former assistant GMs in the NHL, Mike Fuda, who worked for the LA Kings from 2007 through 2020, 
I think the last three years of that, he was an assistant GM. He started as the director of amateur scouting, held a variety of roles in the organization, finished as the assistant GM, now is an analyst for Sportsnet and, in Canada. And Frank Provenzano, who is no longer in the game, um, a G, an assistant GM, excuse me, for the Washington Capitals, uh, I think it was from 1997 to 2004, and the Dallas Stars from 2006 to 2013. Um, so they they know rebuilds. I mean, Mike Fuda came to the LA Kings um, bef- while they were rebuilding, leading into their two Stanley Cup championships. Um, Provenzano worked for the Washington Capitals when they had their major rebuild, leading into the Ovechkin era. Um, so... Basically, my pitch to them was, if we were to write a hockey rebuild for dummies, how would we lay it out? And what would their title be? Uh, well, it wasn't. It was a. It, it wasn't a. It wasn't the title that Frank gave me. But as one of his quotes to me was, "It's no fun being shitty." So I said that if if we have a, uh, I think it's important for Price fans to remember that. If we have a title, that. it would be, "It's no fun being shitty." Yeah, and I think it's important for for fans to remember that right now. All right, so there are three big chapters that you 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 came out of. The conversation with and again this is all about all right we, we've laid out the exact pieces and the first steps of the rebuild many times on this show again who they should trade how they should get rid of them all that good stuff reevaluating david poyle reevaluating john Hines, blah, blah 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 this is more big picture nhl stuff right yes Chap- chapter one and this is where we're not sure where the preds are right now yes but i will say i don't think this has been a problem with the preds in the past because ownership largely is because it's such an amalgamation of people there's not really a conflict between ownership and David Poyle in the past that I can come up with, that no. I can see. It's been David Poyle's vision. And the f- number one first big important thing that, that these guys imparted on you, chapter one, was have a singular vision and be aligned. I don't think that's going to be a problem for the Preds. I don't, I don't think so either. And the example that I used in the story was, was Frank, his time with the Capitals. So in 1999, two years after uh, Frank... Uh, joined the organization, Ted Leonsis, who now owns the Capitals, Wizards, he bought the Capitals. Um, and he wanted to change the perception of the franchise. In 1998, they lost in four games in the Stanley Cup final uh, to the Detroit Red Wings. But other than that, they were a team that would make the playoffs and lose in the first round. They were that kind of team. So Ted Leonsis decided that he wanted this team to be competitive. So they traded for Yarmir Yager at the height of his powers. They signed Robert Lang, uh, the you know one year after trading for Yager, and I, I went back and looked at a story from the Washington Post, actually written by NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, a former Washington Capitals beat reporter for the Washington Post, um, and Leonza said that the trade for Yager it'll help us sell tickets, it'll help us sell corporate sponsorships, but we did this to win, and they didn't win, and then instead of throwing money at the problem or Sell, you know, trying to acquire more brand name players in the 2003-04 season, the last full season before the, the the full year lockout, they gutted the roster. They traded Yager to the Rangers. They traded Robert Lang to the Red Wings. They traded Peter Bondra, I believe, to the Ottawa Senators. They traded their captain Stephen Steve Kondawalchuk. That's that's some not, that's that's a big name, yeah, right there. They they traded Steve Kondawalchuk to the Colorado Avalanche, and. And um, as Provenzano said about having to inform Connor Walchuk that he had been traded, quote, he was our captain and it was brutal. You try and build this culture in the sense of community and family in the dressing room, and then you go and rip it all apart. 
Um, but then I go on to say, I'm going to quote myself here. It was a painful <laughs> but necessary decision. Losing is bad for business, but so is sustained mediocrity. By delaying the inevitable, an organization risks digging itself into a deeper are, hole. Are you cons- Are you concerned about that with this Predators team currently? You know what? I'm not there yet, but if I do not see them taking the steps in the next few months, then I will start being concerned. Me- me- meaning, clearly David Poyle's not buying into the rebuild. Because he's going to be the one in charge of pulling the trigger. Right. But if I don't see this team making steps towards... Which would be what? Trading pieces? Trading. Yeah. Right. They, they they need to, as I said in the column today, they need to accept reality. And and the I think the, perhaps the strongest quote in the story, and we can talk about some of the other quotes because I know that you were... I, look, I've you all have, the, I love all the quotes. You have one. But the last quote from Frank about the Predators specifically... I quote, I think the first step is to admit you have a problem. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do because you've had a good team and gotten close. Now that is getting further and further in the rearview mirror. Yep. That team looks stale. It just looked like it, it just looks like it's not working there, and it's probably time for a course correction. In your first chapter, you and I, I don't know who exactly was this quote here, but it's the, there's a seductive narrative you can Frank, fall into. Yeah, especially in today's NHL. If you can get in, anything can happen, which of course did happen to this team. Which is which is kind of true, but it's also the trap. And so, uh, again, I'm not worried about that, but I need to see, to your point, I need to see some movement at the trade deadline, and then again, probably at the end of the season, right? Someone's going to have to become the singular vision, right? Someone has to become that person that does the singular vision thing. So that's the first chapter. Second chapter is not as easy, and even in your explanation of it, it you know, your your first example of Chapter two is the golden youngsters. The league is getting younger. You have to draft high picks. If you look at teams that win Stanley Cups, they win them because they have Ovechkins and Crosby's and Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane's on them. Like these guys are not drafted, <laughs> you know, with the 27th overall pick. They have not been bad enough, the Predators. Right. To have one of those picks. I mean, it's been eight years since they picked in the top five, and that was Seth Jones, of course. Now I want to—I don't remember if it was back-to-back years when Taves and Kane were picked in the top five. I don't remember, but it, 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 it sounds cl- right. It's close, but, but they were both top. But five. the example of the Capitals—they the, drafted Ovechkin number one in 2004. They drafted Nicholas back. No, excuse me. They drafted yeah yep, number yep. one in 2004. Backstrom number four yep. in 2006. And even though I did not include him in this because he didn't—he wasn't on the team when they won the Stanley Cup. Mike Green, the defenseman who played a significant role in what was called the Rock the Red era in Washington, helping that team reach unprecedented regular season success, was drafted with the first-round pick they got in the Robert Lang trade that I previously referenced. Here, Here is the caveat, asterisk, not red flag necessarily, but warning sign with this story and this example. 14 years later, they won the Stanley Cup. Yes. <laughs> so Ovechkin not only is an otherworldly transcendent talent – but for as a 14-year veteran was still good enough to care, eventually get them to the cup. Backstrom was uh, had been drafted it was 12 years. So that which will lead us to our third chapter here in a second, but you have to draft good young talent and the Kings, of course, you 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 wrote about them as well. They they added really good young players with a lot of drafts, but that takes being bad for a long time, a couple of years at least to get those draft picks. And not every draft class, and I would say famously, and I, I don't know if this is infamously, I, would the Predators' early years have been different had they won the whatever it was, the coin toss? 
because their chance to draft Vinny LeCavalier versus David Leguan, that's an example of a huge drop-off from being first versus second. And even being second in the expansion draft for the Predators for me, hurt them versus being first. So even if you're really terrible and you have the second or third pick, it doesn't mean you're always going to get Connor McDavid. For me, that conversation is the 2013 draft. Because Seth Jones, of course, highly touted, has lived up to the billing. He is a future Norris Trophy winner, in my opinion. Uh, it's only a matter of time. Uh, I don't think anybody expected him to be fourth. What what would this organization look like if they would have drafted Alexander Barkov at number four? We wouldn't be having these conversations about this team's lack of drafting and developing elite forwards, most likely. If he yeah. if he had the same career he's had in Florida so, with the Predators. So is your point, don't be as concerned with the draft class and the strengths or weaknesses. Just say, look, if you can get three straight top five picks, which is three straight bad years— there's a good, really good chance you're going to have three foundational pieces. Is well, that what you're saying? Yes. I mean, so when the Kings re- when the Kings started rebuilding 13, 14 years ago, they had three up-and-comers in their lineup that they knew they could build around for the future. Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, and Jonathan Quick. And then these so are— So Askarov, Yossi, Forsberg. Perhaps, but maybe, but Yossi and Forsberg are going to be in their th- you know yeah, 30s older, yeah. versus in their early 20s. But these are notable. These so are the- Sam Gerrard, <laughs> Seth Jones, Kevin Fiala. <laughs> oh, Perhaps. Wait, never mind. No. <laughs> so these were some of the notable Kings draft picks I pulled from 2006 to 2010. Trevor Lewis, first round in 2006. Wayne Simmons, second round in 2007. Alec Martinez, fourth round in 2007. Drew Doughty, first round in 2008. Slava Voinov, second round in 2008. Braden Shen, first round in 2009. Kyle Clifford, second round in 2009. Tyler Toffoli, second round in 2010. And they did such a great job of building their cupboard, so to speak, that they were able to trade Braden Shen and Wayne Simmons to the Flyers in 2011 for Mike Richards. The Predators have made a lot of those trades, those trading youngsters, trading draft picks yeah. for for veteran players. Not a lot Probably of top bit, five picks, though. No. Shen, but, Shen being top five yes, is big time. But they haven't had that level of success. Right. They haven't, they, you know, the player, you know, they've traded first round pick for Ryan Hartman. They traded Sam Gerrard as part of the Kyle Turris trade. They traded um, a first round pick for Cody Franzen and Mike Santarelli in 2015. Um, they traded Kevin Fiala for Mikhail Granlund. They just had, they traded a second round pick for Brian Boyle. Like they haven't had the same success. So you have to work to be bad to get high enough up for a couple of years to build around some superstar talent that you think yeah, can, you know, can play for 12 years in your organization. I mean, I didn't I didn't include this in the story because I couldn't find an, a, a perfect place for it, but Provenzano said that like when you're rebuilding, that's something that that you look at. You look at the upcoming drafts and you say, is there a generational player that's coming in the next year, two years, three years that if we if that if we struggle, we might have an opportunity to get. The best example was at the 25th draft was that Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel like the Oilers and the Sabres knowingly tanked right well you with you, an opportunity to get one of those two guys it wasn't an it wasn't a coincidence that the Capitals did all of that in 03 and they right. took Ovechkin and in 04 took, with the first and, pick and, and it you wasn't know a what? like if it wasn't Ovechkin it would have been Evgeny Malkin you know he was right. in that draft class too right you know that would have been interesting so uh, if, what's what's interesting about the Kings rebuild is and they're currently rebuilding too the Kings right. and they have a they have one of the top prospect pipelines in the league yep they're on their way up but it's also taking them a while but they got cups out of the deal so that that was the quote that stuck out to me the most when i talked to mike fuda he said there's blowing it up 
and they're just blowing it up with banners. And he basically said that if you're if your fan base, your ownership group, they know there's going to be pain, but they can go to the games, they can look up, they see the two Stanley Cup banners in the King's case and say, man, those parties were worth it. So you can live with that pain because there there was, you, you reached the ultimate goal. The problem is the Predators do not have those specific banners that we're no. referencing, which makes it harder to swallow. It does bring us to the third chapter, which is patience. So uh, essentially, you have to have a singular vision and focus. You have to acquire very talented young pieces, generally at the top of the draft, and you have to then exhibit patience. It's going to be painful, and it's going to take time. And you cite the Colorado Avalanche as part of this process. What's interesting, and one of my one of my favorite quotes in this entire story from Provenzano was the tough part of a rebuild is you get to the point where you're starting to get more competitive and it's hard to leave some powder in the wick, meaning like leave some bullets in the chamber. And what I could not help but think about was this was an eighth place team that got to the cup. And then in back to back years, it felt like David Poyle reached for something that he was a little too urgent and didn't allow the the rest of the team to sort of grow into itself. And maybe I'm wrong on this, but wasn't the Terse trade the very next November? Then the Granlin Fiala trade was the year after that. So to me, it was, he, he, he just got a little ahead of himself. It was building, it was happening, and, and, and look at the young pieces he got rid of. So I, I don't know. Am I, am I wrong to think that was one of the lessons we could take from this? Was No, not at all. I mean, think about the Avalanche example. So the Avalanche— like you can combine them, right? Yes, the Sandra Avalanche, are... like the Kings, they bottomed out. They had 48 points in 2017. They were that bad. 2017-18, I believe it was. Because I remember when Colin Wilson got traded, I was like, you're going from a team yeah, that just yeah. won, went to the Stanley Cup final to a, you know this team. And he was actually very excited. And guess what? Colin was right. Um, so, <laughs> as he usually is. Um, very smart guy. Anyway, so the Avalanche bottomed out. They had those. They had that foundation of, yep, of up-and-comers or established young players like the Kings did. And Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, and Gabrielle Landeskog. Then McKinnon was the first overall pick in 2013. Yes. All those guys, I think, were top 10 picks yeah. or top 15 picks. So, again, you had to draft, They had to be bad. They had to be really bad, draft, and then bottom out after that. And they had to hit on those right? picks, too. Exactly. I mean, it's not just being bad and getting a top five pick. You have to hit on those picks. Yep. Teams have had—I mean, let's let's cross-reference the uh, the local professional football team. Isaiah Wilson was a first-round pick. Yeah. That didn't work out so no, well. No, anyway, um, so— they had that foundation, but Joe Sackick didn't didn't throw you know didn't go nuts. You know, he he drafted Kale McCarr, he traded for Sam Girard, he drafted Bowen Byram, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Then he goes out and he signs these cost-effective complementary players. He he well he, or he trades for them. You know, he he trades for Andre Burakovsky from Washington. He trades Tyson Berry for Nazem Kadri. He signed Pierre Edouard Belmar from the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, he, and these guys don't cost a lot of money, but they but they are the right players to put around the core and these prospects. It's amazing that they actually had Matt Duchesne in there too. They did have Matt that's, Duchesne in there. It's incredible. Um, so they, you know, Joe Sackick didn't say this team's really close. I'm going to go sign this huge free right. agent. I'm going to go make this blockbuster right. deal and get a player in here. You know, he was patient. I think David Poyle was intoxicated. Maybe he was I, and not, intoxicated by not the with, idea of yeah, winning, not, not with literally intoxicated. <laughs> no, he was intoxicated by the, the 
that spring of 17. And I think we all were. And we all said, man, they're, they're so close, one piece. And I think what we're seeing here is that you got to be, you have to, when you think you're close, just, it's like almost like Pavlovian. Be, just be more careful. When you think you're that close, you have to be even more careful. And I think when he, he made the mistake with the tourist trade, which we talked about ad nauseum, but then he didn't, he didn't learn from that and step back and slow it down. He went more. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, he went deeper into the hole and, yes. and that's why they're here now. And the quote from Provenzano that I think is important here in this part of the conversation, as we kind of get to the end of this quote, you're about to walk organizationally into the Valley of death. And there's no guarantee how long that walk is or how you come out on the other side. Again, the capitals took 15 years from the day on Oh three, when they decided to get all those pieces out of there to the cup, took multiple coaches. Yep. It, it, it is, we're not suggesting that this strategy and this formula is just foolproof. I also think we should talk about the the cautionary tale, the example of how not to rebuild the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, the Buffalo Sabres have not gotten any better. They've missed the postseason, I think, 10 years in a row. They're absolutely going to miss it this season. I mean, there's talk about trading Jack Eichel. Um, Woof. <laughs> Which, which you know, you're, you don't come out on top of that trade, nope. trading a player yeah. like Jack Eichel. But the point, you know, one thing to the talk about the singular vision, since the Sabres last made the postseason, which I think was in 2011, 2010, 2011, they've had four general managers. <laughs> like, talking about talking about a singular vision, that, that, that runs counter to the idea of organizational alignment. Like, you don't, like, and, and, and Provenzano says, you know, think about all. Think about the moves similar to sort of similar to what you're talking about with David Poyle. Like, think about the moves the Sabers have made over the years since, especially since they they drafted Jack Eichel. Right. Think about the assets they've traded. They traded for Evander Kane. They traded for Tyler Myers. They signed Jeff Skinner to an eight year contract. Like question mark, question mark, right? Question. Mark. It didn't work. They tried. To, right. You know, they they trade. You know, they traded Robin Leonard. You know, they've had all of these. They they tried to speed up the process and. As Mike Fuda said, there's no quick fix, and attempting to to circumvent the process extends the process, and that might speak to what you're talking about. Yep, with you got you got to take it slow. And here's the uh, we can end this conversation with a question because it's not, and, and you reference this in the beginning in the lead of your story, which is you're not just rebuilding the roster; you've got to rebuild trust within the community with your fans. You've got to rebuild. You've got to, and you're asking your fans to make a sacrifice. So I think Predators fans, who most of us all agree this team needs to do what we're talking about here, right? The I don't whole, think anybody is harboring any delusions of what this team right. is. But, but that also means you have to you don't get to come back in 18 months and, and start bitching about how bad the team is. One you other, have to say, look, we understand. And you have to be willing to say that for probably how many years? One other quote At that, least three? Right. One other quote that Provenzano said that I didn't include in the story is that a lot of the fans, he said a lot of the fans that are calling, like not Predators fans, but fans of rebuilding teams, a lot of the fans who are saying blow it up are, this, are the same fans who aren't going to show up to games when the team is struggling. Like that, like there's there's responsibility here that the fans have to carry, right? And and you know what? Like I wonder if, and we've seen it a couple of times. You know, the New York Rangers in 2018, they decided to write an open letter to their fan base explaining we're gonna we're going into that. a rebuild. You would not, or you would? I, I would do that as part of my resignation letter if I was David Poyle, because hmm. then you can say if you're the Preds, you can say no, that's Poyle Poyle's words, <laughs> and and he's sliding over to a new role like we've talked about. Right. You bring in a new GM. You, does a whole uh, you know organizational reevaluation, but in that letter, David Poyle says, "I love you. Thank you for everything you've given us. 
Now we're asking you to give us some patience. So and so's the the person who's going to lead us into the future. Does that make you see what I'm saying? Yes. I think it's great PR. And I think the Rangers are an interesting example because, as Frank pointed out, like they didn't bottom out when they made this decision. They were just stuck in the cycle of mediocrity. And the Rangers were a good team for a long time. They made it to one like the Predators. They made it to one Stanley Cup final. They lost to the LA Kings, I think, in 2014 because they beat the Devils. In you're talking. You're talking about the modern. Yep, yeah, I'm talking, yeah. but. But the Rangers made the decision. You know, they traded Ryan McDonough. They traded Matt Zuccarello. They right. traded, you know, they they traded Delzato and you know, everybody. Well, yeah, they tr- don't include Delzato. Fine, I'm just saying but all like the names they, are on but, that team. You know, but they quickly they quickly rebooted. I mean, they made a nice trade with the with the Rangers to get Adam Fox. You know, the young yeah. defenseman. They they signed Artemi Panarin, um, who's you know paid dividends. Um, you know, they, they, they had the first pick in the draft in the lottery this year. They picked up Alexis Lafreniere, Alexi Lafreniere, who's, who's not having the greatest so, season, but you know, they got, they, they quickly. So you're saying rebooted. it doesn't necessarily have to be 14 years of despair, no, <laughs> but we don't know how long it's going to take the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers, I think last year were a yeah. bit, they looked a bit ahead of schedule. They made it into the extended postseason. Um, but then I think we're swept by the Hurricanes well, in the playing round. And, and the Ovechkin thing is interesting, too, because it wasn't just like, oh, 14 years of despair, and then they won the Cup. No. I no, mean, it was like 10 years of awesome they hockey. Won they won the just division every past, year. Yeah, they just couldn't get past They Pittsburgh. won like three President's Trophies. Right, right, right. You know, but they you know, they couldn't get out of this until they beat the Penguins right. on their way to the Stanley Cup in 2018. That was the first time they had been out of the second round right. in 20 years when they went to the Stanley Cup final and lost to the Red Wings. So... You know, oh, I mean, oh, so it's not. We're not asking for 14 years of predators no, sacrifice. Predators we're asking for fans, two or three seasons of really bad hockey. But the but predators fans have to, you know, the predators fans who are calling for everyone to be fired and are calling for every player to be traded, <laughs> like those players, like those fans, excuse me. Yep. There come there's a, you know they have a response as you said there is a responsibility too that you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Yep. You still have to support the team. Yep. You know. They're going to you, like I like for me personally in my time in Nashville, which is approaching six years. It'll be six years in like a week. Um, I've never seen the team like this, but there have been plenty of Predators teams in the early years of this franchise that were like this, and they've had like one losing season in over a decade. It, it's just been a pretty yeah. It's been a pretty it's good been pretty run. Damn good. So I think what the Predators need to do, I mean, Predators fans need to do is if, if this is the way they go, you know, you need to be prepared for yeah. for uncompetitive hockey. Like, that's that's what's going to happen. But your hope is that those years of pain lead to the ultimate reward, and we'll see if that happens. But, you know, yep. it, there is a responsibility from Predators fans. Like you said, Frank said in the story that, you know, you're not just you're not just fixing you're not just blowing up the roster you're also loosening the bonds with the community and the fan base if you trade victor arvidson i have a you know what i mean like if you trade some of those pieces that's a there's kids everywhere that'll be devastated by that i have a a frequent commenter on my stories on the athletic george s george s if you're listening shout out to george thank you for for your continued support he told me he tweet, he commented on the story last week, and he commented on the story uh, on my column today. He said that if the Predators trade Philip Forsberg, he and his wife are giving up their season tickets. Like, I mean, that, I don't like trading Philip Forsberg either. I know, but like, that's what I'm talking about. Is that like there's a certain level of passion, yeah. and you know, 
you know, do I think George should go as far as giving up a season ticket if they trade Philip Forsberg? I can't make that decision for him. He's clearly passionate about it, which I appreciate. Um, but like that's, but like you need the without the support of the fans, like you know, yeah, it you know you're yep. back at square one. Yep, and you know this organization has been through some tough things financially in the past. You know, well, so. and that's also part of the rebuild. Like, uh, there's another. Re- I don't know. Maybe the pandemic actually helps in this sense that like if you're rebuilding the budget from the inside out and you got bad contracts and you're gonna have to trade pieces and you're gonna have to blow it all up and rebuild. Like, why not do it when? Like the entire city has to rebuild. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, maybe maybe that doesn't make any sense. Um, Florida to the to this this weekend against Florida at Dallas on Sunday at Carolina Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday next week. Is it? Do you have anything to? Is there anything that we need to talk about with those? Let's games? just quickly do our power rankings. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go. Tampa one, Carolina two, Florida three, Chicago four. <laughs> Uh, mm, this is tough because you know the stars have bottomed out too. I guess I'll go. Will I go Nashville five? Do I go Nashville five? No, I mean, but they're, they're, they're better than Columbus right now. They're better than Columbus. I think after watching them play Detroit four times, I think Detroit's the better team. So you're going to put Detroit ahead of Nashville? I, I don't want to. I'm going to go. But Nashville you watch those five. four. You watch those four games, I'm right? I'm going to go Nashville five, Columbus six, Detroit seven, Dallas eight. I think Dallas is the team you're underselling. I think they're the better team because they've only played 17 games. They're <laughs> six, seven, and four. Detroit has played. <laughs> Detroit has played, played 25 eight games? more games and has one okay, more point. Maybe I'll flip it. Maybe I'll flip it. I'll <laughs> put Dallas, Dallas has, seven. And if your excuse with the Preds and Columbus is head to head, well then Dallas has boat raced Nashville. So I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, Tampa one. Carolina two, Florida three, Chicago four, and there's uh, after that it's there's a clear cutoff, right? It's the top four have separated themselves as of today, and they look like the four best teams. And I may actually be giving Chicago. I think they're going to come back down to earth, but I don't know who's good enough to take their spot right now. That's the problem. Is right. the, the best thing for Chicago is that none of the teams below them are doing anything to. Um, threaten them. I, I think it's Dallas as the team to watch. If they get healthy and hot, Dallas could track them down and take that spot. See that? See that? That was a that was a nice little of those, rhyme there. Of the four teams, of the four teams, I would give Dallas yes. the the the. I think they're the most talented of the four teams. Dallas five, Nashville six, Columbus seven, Detroit eight. Okay, that's my order. So having Nashville six or five was not as big no, of a leap as I thought. You were making. I, I think long. I, like is, is Columbus better? I mean, they're they're one in five against Nashville, so probably not. No. <laughs> Until further notice, Columbus is below Nashville just because they've lost to Nashville five times. I know, but in I, regulation. The problem I have with the Detroit. No, Nashville, was it all in regulation? Were they all regulation losses? Uh, I don't know. Not all of them, but the the problem with Detroit and Nashville is that in the four games they're split two two, but Detroit has felt like the better team. Like that's they've skated harder. It's, it's, they've been more active. Like it just when the Predators beat the Red Wings three two on the goal by Dante Fabro. That was last minute. I I tweeted good news. The Predators win. Bad news. The Predators were in a dogfight with the Detroit Red Wings. They look like equals. And then that's the, other, the problem. But then the other two losses, Detroit was dominant in those two two games, right? And then the the other win was the two nothing game, right? Where Pekka. Shut them out to nothing, and that's like the first time they actually played like a real hockey game <laughs> like all season. <laughs> the Columbus one of the games in Columbus was a pretty good game. I can't remember which one. The four was it four two? I don't know for remember. the for Nashville. Yeah, it was the best. It was Sunday night, right? The best game of the year. 
I think that's what we all said after the game. Like that was the best game of the season for the Preds. Not the two. Not I, I'm talking about not the ones. Not the ones over the weekend. Like the game they played in Columbus before this recent road trip. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Now we're just rambling at the end of the podcast. All right. What else do we want to ramble about? I, I think we're. I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we got it all. I would like to point one thing out outside of the NHL. Um. So. Outside of the NHL oh, or outside, me, outside of, the of the Predators. Okay. Um, Weird things happening north of the border? Yeah. The Montreal Canadiens last week fired head coach Claude Julien um, and associate coach. I believe he was an associate coach. Talk about a rebuild uh, here. Kirk Muller. Uh, last night, after their interim coach, Dominique Ducharme, won, their first, won his first game, and they actually played a solid game. They played Ottawa, but, you know, whatever. They fired their goalie coach, Stefan Waite. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And according to Elliot Freeman, Mark Bergevin, the GM of the Canadians, said that Stefan Waite was fired during the second period of last night's game. During the second period. Why would you, that's? I always think it's interesting. Like that's a it's that's an like interesting disrespectful. Way. Like, you know, imagine you're Stefan Waite. You know, you're watching the game from the Bell Center press box. You go out. You get a coffee from the press lounge. Your goaltender's not playing. Maybe you badly. get a, maybe well not in that game, but Carey Price has been bad. Yeah. I know. Um, but. You know, you go down to the the press lounge in the Bell Center. You get one of their famous hot dogs, and Mark Bergevin sells up to you and say, "Hey, Stefan, you're fired. Enjoy that hot dog." <laughs> like, it's just like, it's not a thing you do professionally. It's totally disrespectful. Wait I don't until know. after the game. Yes. I don't know why do you have to do it. Like, and also, like, if aren't you're you busy? Stephon, if you're Stefan, wait. Do you leave immediately, or do you like, you know, I'm just gonna stick around for the rest of the game? It's so unprofessional to me. Like there was talk about Jeremy Pruitt at University of Tennessee doing that during a game, and I think it's I think it's one of the most hot headed, reactionary, unprofessional things you could possibly do is fire someone like during a game. Now there's no I mean some of this is alleged. It doesn't sound like this is alleged. No, Mark Bergevin said yeah, he fired Stefan Wade during the second it, period. It's completely unprofessional in my opinion. Like let the per, let the day happen. Let the let the experience happen. Let the team go away, and then have a private adult conversation with the with a, with a human being. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. That pisses me off. Now I'm pissed off. Go to Jasper's. <laughs> and, and, and But not pissed off. Like, you can't be pissed off at Jasper's. No, Jasper. That, I, the reason I instant instantly use it is, like, that's my cure for being pissed off is to go to Jasper's. Like, I, I, you know, I'm done with the podcast. I'm getting worked up. You're getting me worked up. I'm trying to wrap up the show. And now I'm pissed off about one human being treating another human being like shit. And I'm going, you know what? You know what will make me feel better? A gold standard cocktail and some shrimp and goodies from Jasper's. Our title sponsor. Mm, that sounds good. <sighs> All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Pay for good journalism. Go to The Athletic. Be patient and carry some of the responsibility with your team. This is your fault. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. <laughs> but you will be part of the solution. You can be part of the solution if you're the fans. And patience is going to be a big part of this. So uh, I don't think there's any more you know, debate about where this team is headed this year. I think we finally learned the, the final the carcass is dead. Let's start making the moves. Let's get some pieces out of here. Let's acquire some assets and let's start the rebuild. I think it's official. Uh, Adam, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Adam Vingan. They can find me at theathletic.com. Uh, great stuff up there. Uh, I, I guess I'm starting to make recommendations, right? I, of I things guess. Yeah. I've, I've been doing that the past couple of weeks. Um, so... Uh, our NHL trade deadline big board is up. It was Ooh. posted on Monday. I think there are 28 players on the list, including three Predators players in the top 10. Um, very, interest, very interesting stuff. And this is not just a, 
we're going to pick 28 players and throw them against the wall and see if they stick. You know, Craig Custance, Eric Duhacek did their homework, talked to league sources, right. got insight. You know, this is, you know, this is... This uh, is the real juice. This is the real juice. Um, Which is what they use at Jasper's in all their cocktails. Yes, that's <laughs> that's very important. <laughs> it's true. When you said the final curtain, all I could think of, or whatever you said, I you know, sometimes I zone in and I out. Think, yeah, I was going to say, thanks for listening. Yes, thanks for listening. I was thinking of uh, Frank Sinatra. So I feel like since I... Should I sing my way? At the, you know, if you want, now, go to Jasper's and how do you order your mar- is near, How do you order your martini? And so I face <laughs> the final curtain. It's <laughs> pretty good. You're not, you're not bad. It's not bad. Good singing. Thank you. I did it my way. Is that what is there that what go. David Poyle should go out to when? Uh, I think they need a new GM that's going to do it his way, and mm. that's the vision. So we're th- now we're talking about Limp Bizkit. It's my way. Stop. My Stop. way or the highway. Stop. Sinatra, fine, cool, acceptable, the man. No Limp Bizkit Fred for Dursk, you? Fred no. No, thank you. You wear you like hat. You wear hats. Do you wear I, a red Yankees hat? No, I, I'm a Mets fan. Oh, would you wear a red Mets hat? No. No? I don't like red. alternative colors. No? Yeah, no, I don't. Like, I, my, my, my mom tries to buy my daughter, like, pink team stuff, and I'm like, no. Camo team stuff? No. I, 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 don't give me that crap. I, I like team color stuff. Now, I like vintage and retro team color stuff but i don't like the alternative stuff and end of how do you feel about the black mets jerseys don't like it but there's some history as to why it was done mike piazza well it's it's also there's a cultural thing with all the blue collar fans and like how it came about there's a long backstory there i do not like the black mets jersey for the next hour we'll talk about the new york (laughs) mets all right thank you guys all for listening jaspers of course go Check them out on West End, the next evolution of the sports bar. Fantastic menu by Deb Paquette and Four Top Hospitality. Elevated food, fantastic atmosphere, uh, grab-and-go market, free parking, socially distanced for now. Hopefully we can lick faces later. Order a gold standard cocktail, and, of course, tip your waiter and waitresses. For Adam Bingen, my name's Braden Galt. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and share the show. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.